This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Welcome to uh, the podcast, and uh, have you ever wondered if God defines kindness and love and morality, or can we actually ask ourselves, um, is God kind and loving and moral, apart from what God has done and said? What do you guys think? Can you recognize kindness independently of God? So let me put it another way. Can an atheist or an enemy of God recognize kindness? Or is this something restricted to people who listen to God? I think kindness can be recognized for what it is by whoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah, many kind people who are not Christians I think God actually in, uh, invites us to think about these topics. Uh, he wants us uh, to look at him and make a judgment call on his very nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's on that basis you uh, worship God or you worship some other idea or ideology. Well, and, and that's the whole premise for the first angel in revelation 14 decide whether god is worthy of worship yeah and um so it's important i think for people to think um carefully about what they believe about god and decide is god really worthy of worship or is he one to be feared and and Mm. um and i think a lot of people do fear him and and then just kind of conclude if God is that way, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. So um, the topic for our podcast today is uh, God is moral, or you can put it in a question form and say, is God moral? No, yeah. I think for most Christians, they just say yes. But um, there's some incidents in the Bible which might want, uh, might lead you to question your belief in God's morality. So the first thing I did was look up uh, what the meaning of the word moral. And Mm. this is what it said. It's concerned with the principles of right and wrong behavior and the goodness or badness of human character. I really think that English could be improved, the goodness or the badness, but we're not (laughs) going to do that here tonight. So here's an incident that uh, really makes you question God's morality, even if you're profoundly religious. Um, If it it doesn't make you question God's morality, uh, I would like to meet you and ask you a few questions. (laughs) uh, Sasha, why don't you read 2 Samuel 12? Verse 11 to 12. This is what the Lord says. 
because of what you, David, have done. I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Thank you. Now, uh, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. This uh, passage is very explicit about the causation. Mm -hmm. It says, this is what the Lord says. Mm -hmm. When Nathan the prophet says that, uh, I believe he's meaning to say, I didn't think this up. I didn't invent this. Mm -hmm. This is, he's quoting God. Mm -hmm. I will cause, he's quoting God, I will cause your own household. I will give your wives to another man. You did it secretly. I will make this happen to you openly. I think when you have that kind of uh, structure, it's very clear that the causation for what happened lies with God. So I ran into this uh, statement by someone called Anne Spangler in a book called Less Than Perfect. She says, instead of protecting his sheep, the shepherd king, that's David, turned into a predator, sleeping with Bathsheba and then murdering her husband. Now, some people feel that it's quite moral for God to uh, inflict this kind of punishment on David because of his heinous behavior. So there are two punishments here for David's adultery with Bathsheba. Number one, the Lord will cause his family to rebel against David. So did that happen? Definitely, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, His sons rebelled against him, and Absalom, uh, the best-looking of all his sons, led a overt rebellion against his father. Um, You can read about that in 2 Samuel 15. And then secondly, the Lord will inspire another man to have sex with his wives in public view. This happened too. Ahithophel uh, counseled Absalom to do this to make the rebellion irreversible. Now, we have to say that culturally, uh, this is what you did when you became the new king. You took over the harem of the previous king. And David had taken over Saul's harem. And now Absalom is going to take over his father's harem. So it's a cultural practice of the time. But I don't think we can let God off the hook because of human cultures. Ahithophel, who counseled Absalom to do this, was Bathsheba's grandfather. So there was a relationship here, and he was really upset with David. You know, as you you describe what David did, it's easy to say that was really immoral. You know, he took Bathsheba. She had no choice. She she was summoned by the king. What could she say? No, I'm not going to come. She came, and and uh, and then he had her husband murdered. God does is, is so similar when it considers his concubines, and yet 
it's really hard for me uh, to say that God, that that was immoral. It's, it's just so hard to question what God does and say that's immoral. And yet I think that's, that's what needs to happen. We, we need to hold God to the standard that he wants us to live by and, and, and realize uh, that this doesn't measure up if, you know, so then we look for other ways to try to explain it. And, you know, like you say, it was culture. Maybe, maybe we could give God some uh, latitude, some length to, to do this because of it, it culturally, but still it, it was, it was rape. These women were not Absalom's wives. They were David's wives or at least his concubines. And he came and, and violates them. Mm -hmm. And something else that's standing out for me is that he's making it clear that, you know, in David's case, this was done in secret. And now he's going to do even more like a public uh, humiliation and a public display. Um, and which also speaks to uh, many of my earlier fears, uh, the idea of, you know, what uh, we as people do that later on, it will be sort of displayed across the whole universe for everyone to see, um, you know, and this idea of, of a real public, uh, you know, sort of humiliation or to really prove the point of this is why this person is not going to be able to be part of, let's say, heaven or whatever. And it really does... Um, there's a lot of dissonance there with the idea of even being able to say um, that this isn't right for God to do this. Thank you. You know, David commits adultery in secret. And uh, it's been pointed out in the passage, and also you guys have commented on it, that God is going to make sure this happens in public. This is not even according to eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right. This is going beyond lex talionis. So I don't know. Have you guys ever read this passage before? And what did you do with it? Or did you just gloss over it? For most of my life, I just glossed over it. God's yeah. free to do whatever he chooses to do. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But that's what God does. That's what the God does. Who am I to question God? Well, and for me, I think it just, it built up a callous, um, a callousness and a protection around my heart because um, how can all of these things, like if that really is how God is, oh, how terrifying to be in the hands of the living God, so to speak, right? I, it's too painful. I'm going to take a totally unrelated passage of scripture and show you how we reinterpret stories sometimes, and then suggest we need to do the same with this story. So the passage I'm looking at is found in 1 Samuel chapter 28, 1 Samuel 28. This is the story of when King Saul um, is fighting the Philistines, and he's totally outgunned. And there's no hope of him winning the battle. And uh, none of the prophets or the priests will consult God for him. And uh, or they consult and there's no response. 
So he asks if there's a witch that he can consult. And um, he goes down to the witch of Endor. She calls up. King Saul wants Samuel, the prophet Samuel, called up. I remind you that Samuel had stopped talking to Saul because of his rebellion and disobedience. So we pick up the story from verse 15, um, where Samuel is talking to King Saul. Warren, if you can read verse 15, please. So not only had Samuel stopped talking to Saul, he had died. Yeah, yes. Thank you for yes. filling that in. So he's, he's dead. And now... <laughs> permanently stopped talking to him. <laughs> yeah. So verse 15 says, Why have you disturbed me by calling me back? Samuel asked Saul. Because I'm in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams. So I've called for you to tell me what to do. Thank you. So if you read this dialogue literally, who's talking to who? Samuel's talking to Saul. Dead, dead prophet Samuel is talking to King Saul. Yeah. I mean, that's literally, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um. He explains why he's talking to him. Um, now, it doesn't matter what you think uh, happens to a person after they die. Annihilationists believe that when you die, you have no more consciousness and you don't go anywhere. And you simply uh, cease to exist until you're resurrected. Uh, other people uh, believe that you go to heaven or hell. This creates additional problems with this story because uh, hopefully Samuel, Prophet Samuel, was in heaven. Right. And then he would be dragged back onto earth to deal with this rebellious king of Israel. Uh, not something that I would look forward to doing if I'm happily ensconced in heaven. Mm-hmm. So... Let's read on with the story. Um, 16, Sasha, if you'll read 16 and 18. But Samuel replied, Why ask me since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refused to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow, and you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. Okay, so um, what a depressing communication. I mean, if Saul had any hope um, before this conversation, he doesn't have it now. Yeah. Um, can I just ask, um, I know that there's a little bit of history before this uh, story comes into play and that uh, all the witches were, um, were, were they all killed or, or were they all, or people were told not to go see them? And, it, and, and was that from a prophet or did, um, like, how did that come about? And what I'm really getting at is 
did Saul actually believe that he could talk to a dead person or does Saul, is he just really reaching here or like, what does Saul actually believe is what I'm curious about. It sounds to me like, uh, according to the story, that he's talking to Samuel. And, and that he believed that he could do that. Yes. The, 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 um, the decree to get rid of all the witches, I don't know that they were killed, but it came from King Saul. Um, he had declared that they should be banned from the country. And, and so that's why we didn't read about it. But prior, the, the witch was saying, you, you know, you're trying to get me in trouble. And he says, no, no, you won't get in any trouble uh, if, if I do this. So. Uh, so he yeah. had to sort of put a show on, but he really actually like to, to make it seem like it's a pure nation or it's a holy nation or whatever. But in the heart of hearts, when it really met the met the line, it was like you could that was still a place of counsel. Or is that was that a belief uh, at the time with the people that that you could uh, commune with the dead? No, we, we look at the Israelites and we just assume they worshipped God and only God. But they worshipped other gods. You know, that was the problem. Mm -hmm. um, periodically, they'd build altars on top of the mountains to worship Baal and Ashtoreth and other gods. And uh, uh, it was really a problem with them. And so the reason that the witches were forbidden was to prevent people consulting with the dead. And the reason for that uh, prohibition is to uh, save people from de being defeated by evil spirits, uh, as one is operating here. Um, you know, um, the Lord has done yeah, just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival, David. That was King Saul's great fear. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army to the Philistines, and you and your sons will be here with me. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a problem. Uh, where is Samuel, and what does that mean? Now, if you're an annihilationist, that simply means you're going to be dead. If you believe that you go somewhere after you die, you've got a problem, because Samuel... I think we'd all agree would be in heaven. And yeah, you've got this rebellious, disobedient King Saul. Is he going to go to heaven and join Samuel there? Well, maybe. God is that gracious. But uh, there are all sorts of problems here. So this is what most people do who've looked at this passage carefully. They say, uh, yes, Sasha. No, sorry to interrupt. I think something that I'm trying to get to is because it, we're trying to get at uh, how the people, like, did they see all things coming from God? I guess I'm trying to, to pinpoint that would Saul know that he would actually be talking to Satan or does he not know that if you're talking to a dead person that you're talking to Satan? I'm wondering if culturally he was thinking he was actually talking to a dead person that he needed counsel from 
and that he wasn't being deceived by Satan. I wonder if that's our information being projected onto that story. And I'm just wondering then, because somehow that crystallizes this, this a little bit better for me. So Saul would have had no knowledge of the devil. Um, right. There's no knowledge of the devil in the books of Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, Shatan is mentioned later, but much later. Okay. So anything supernatural is coming from God. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't have known uh, things that, that you're talking about. He, he just needs to talk to Samuel, who always guided him in the past, even though he didn't follow it. Right, right. Yeah, okay. That actually helps, because when I hear the story, or when I heard it as a child, I always was shocked, and I would be like, well, doesn't he know he's talking to Satan? You know, why would he want guidance from Satan, you know? <laughs> but if so, he doesn't actually believe that that's what he's doing then that really does change this. And you can see how lost he is trying to get help here. So today we have people who go to seances, um, Ouija board, uh, they consult clairvoyance, they have people read tarot cards and their palms. And there's always this curiosity about the future uh, in people and Many people want to read the books of Daniel and Revelation, hoping that they'll explain the current uh, news items coming out of Ukraine, Russia, or somewhere else. We we somehow want to know the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That helped. So in, in hindsight, we know who was talking to King Saul. Mm-hmm. We know this was the devil or one of his agents talking to King Saul. And we know that because of the depressive message that is given here. Yeah. And how this, if anything, helped to cause uh, King Saul's suicide, uh, this message would have helped. Yeah. So, so what we do is we take this very literal dialogue. And we say, this can't possibly be dead Samuel speaking. This is an agent of the devil. But the text says, why are you disturbing me by calling me back? Samuel asked Saul. Literally, Mm -hmm. dead prophet Samuel is talking to depressed King Saul. Right. Yet, like you said, we we don't believe that dead people can talk. They're just dead. And so we believe that an evil spirit impersonates that person and thereby can deceive the person that's living. And so, yeah, we, we read that story and say, well, but it didn't really happen the way that it says. Yeah, yeah. And... Even for those people who believe that you're still conscious after you die and go to heaven or hell, you've got a problem here because Samuel, presumably in heaven, says to rebellious King Saul, you're going to be here with me tomorrow. Yeah. You you see the problem there. Mm -hmm. So, So 
most Bible scholars will look at this and say, he's being deceived by an evil spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why most Christians today, Christian leaders, priests, pastors, uh, will say, stay away from uh, spiritualism, Satanism, uh, all these clairvoyance, this communication with the dead, because it's going to get you into trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you really can't trust the source. No. So then tell me, how does this fit with this whole idea of the morality of God? So I'm glad you asked that question to bring me back. So in 2 Samuel 12, the literal text says, God is going to do this to you. Yes. In, uh -huh. in the, the passage we've just read here in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 28, uh, the passage literally says Samuel is talking to Saul. Right. Now, you know, a common Christian statement of faith in quotes is the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But now I've just shown you a passage. The Bible says it, you don't believe it. How does that settle it? Yeah. <laughs> well, we know better. We have more information. Mm -hmm. You have the New Testament. Yeah. Where Jesus explains about the devil and that he's a liar and a murderer from the very beginning. He was cast out of heaven. He's, Jesus says he saw him fall like lightning. And he's the old serpent who deceives the whole world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that gives us so the liberty to reinterpret what this says. It says it doesn't really mean that. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, it just... it. I can see what you're getting at is we do that with the story about Saul and Samuel. And now you're asking us to do it with this story about David and, and Absalom. Yes. Good. You're making the connection. Yeah. So literally in the story of Absalom's rebellion, God is seen as the cause of the rebellion of Absalom and also the violation of uh, David's harem. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit later, the connection between prediction and causation. See, I can predict that uh, even Sasha uh, will be dead within 70 years. Mm -hmm. I am not the cause of your death, Sasha. Good. Let's get that straight. <laughs> so prediction in this case does not equal causation. So it's very possible that God said to Nathan, one of David's sons is going to rebel against him, and one of his sons is going to take over his harem in broad daylight. And Nathan, because he doesn't separate prediction and causation, says, this is what the Lord's going to do. I think that's the best I've ever heard you explain that. Good. It is so clear to be able to, to know that there's this, it's like the lens gets pulled back all the way. And then we see something and we see a big picture 
And then we can understand why, when something like that would be told to the prophet, based on the belief of God, how those words would then come out. It all depends on your picture of God as to how you read mm -hmm. uh, these stories in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. The stories in the Old Testament often have a mixed message about God. And the only place where we get the truth about what God is like is from Jesus. Uh, we've read this passage before, but we're going to read it again because it bears reading often. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. Warren, I'm going to ask you to read that because I know that you enjoy reading this passage. It is such a, um, a revealing passage. It's been so helpful for me. Uh, so, yeah, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Thank you. I just want to stop you there. So this is an example of God speaking through the prophets. This is Nathan. and mm -hmm. He's doing the best he can with the way he thinks and his culture. Yeah. Continue? Yes, please. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. These uh, attributions to Christ are made to no other prophet. Just read them again. Um, the, the sun radiates God's own glory, expresses the very character of God, and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Okay, so no other prophet does that. There are three qualities mentioned there. Yeah. He radiates his glory, expresses his character, and what's the third one? Sustains he everything. He maintains everything. I mean, yeah. no, no other prophet can claim that. Yeah. So um, we need to take what Jesus says very seriously and not put it on the same uh, plane or level or order of importance as what the other prophets say. It's not that they're telling lies. It's not to diminish them or discount them. It's mm -hmm. just you have somebody who supersedes them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jesus stands head and shoulders above any other in the scripture. So this is why if you have an apparent contradiction between Jesus and some other prophet who's, who's written down in the, in the Old Testament mainly, you, you're going to have to side with what Jesus says. Now, there's this very idealistic view of that everything said in the Bible is in complete harmony with everything else. Um, that is a very naive take on the scriptures. Uh, and yet very prevalent view among some denominations. Well, actually, for most Christians, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even Adventists, like very much so. So the, the Ten Commandments say thou shalt not kill. 
If you go to Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, there's a time to kill and a time to go to war and so on. I mean, it's just a direct conflict. Yeah. And it's not serious because uh, if you look into the um, genre of writing and the history and so on, um, it's idiomatic language and so on. But then you run into a real problem in Matthew chapter 5, where six times Jesus quotes Moses, and then he says, but I say. And to say that isn't a contradiction is really being disingenuous. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. uh, because Jesus is really um, challenging what they believed about Moses. Yes. So I just want to talk uh, about the usage of Satan in the Old Testament uh, again. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it before. The term Satan in the Old Testament does not refer to the devil. In the New Testament, uh, devil and Satan are used interchangeably. In the Old Testament, Satan, which is from the Hebrew shatan, meant the accuser, literally, and the equivalent of today's prosecutor was not regarded as an evil or sinister being, but rather as a servant of God who brought out the truth of what was going on. So in the story of Job, the shaitan says, oh, he worships you for what he can get out of you. And God says, well, that's not true. You can touch all his possessions. Do what you want. Don't touch his life. And so eventually it comes out that Job will serve God, uh, even if he loses all his possessions. So the whole story of Job is to say, look, here is one human being who is not worshiping God for what he can get out of him. Mm-hmm. So we, we confuse this. The devil's never mentioned in the Old Testament. Well, it's a Greek word, so it wouldn't be used in the Old Testament. The shatan is referred to in Job 1 and 2, uh, in 1 Chronicles 21, Zechariah 3. These uh, three passages are all written about 500 years before Jesus came. They're very late in the history of Israel. So it's really confusing because it uses the same term, the same name. It would be better if they use the word Shatan rather than Satan. Mm -hmm. Because we impose our belief about Satan that we get in the New Testament back onto the Old Testament, which wasn't their belief at all. Yeah. I want to run through some other incidents which suggest we need to discern an alternative to the literal wording. Okay. So the first one is the flood. Mm. Yes. So in Genesis 6, the story is, well, God looked on the earth and uh, uh, he was so sinful and so violent, he was sorry he had ever made the people, and he decided to drown them all. Mm -hmm. That's the literal reading of Genesis 6. Yeah. Yeah. And we accepted this. Like, I accepted that story my whole life as in just exactly how you <laughs> summed that up. 
yeah, I accepted it too. But it, eventually I began to question if God is a God of love and gives us ultimate freedom to choose to walk away from him, then how after, you know, six chapters of history, I realize it's many hundreds, thousands of years, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds <laughs> yes. or thousands of years, uh, that God did, can decide then that, well, you've chosen poorly, and so I'm going to destroy you. Like, right. to me, it just doesn't, it doesn't compute. Yeah. There's certainly no free choice. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So, uh, you know, we are in a better position to understand what happened than any other time in Earth's history. Because uh, we know that we are in a position to destroy the Earth with nuclear weapons or global warming or pollution of the air, land, and water. Well, and there's no question they were way more intelligent than we are. Well, yes, I'm glad you said that because we're victims of evolution in the sense that we think that we are at the top of the development of technology and uh, uh, cognitive ability and technical skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas the people who lived before the flood may have been way ahead of us. We just, we just don't know. Mm -hmm. And they lived almost a thousand years. And so they were able to accumulate their knowledge and their skills. Mm -hmm. So, um, Rachel Carson wrote the book Silent Spring, and in there she quotes Albert Schweitzer. This is what Schweitzer says, man has lost the capacity to foresee and forestall. He will end by destroying the earth. When did Albert Schweitzer live? Well, before you were born. <laughs> How long before I was born? <laughs> and maybe you're older than I think. <laughs> so this is what I mean. We actually have it within our uh, capability to destroy the earth. Yeah. And scientists are warning us about this. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not far-fetched to say... You know, on, uh, on day two of creation, God separated the waters uh, under the earth from the waters above the earth. Mm he -hmm. created the atmosphere and the lakes on earth. And Genesis 6 is reversing that. Mm -hmm. the, the water's falling down from where it was put in the sky, and it's coming up from where it was put in the ground. Mm -hmm. It's important to see that this is a reversal of day two. Right. And, and don't worry, Albert lived a long time before you. He was born in 1875. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Here's a, an, an alternative way of telling the flood story. Okay. Um, the antediluvians had been messing with ecology and I think also with genetics, and that's where the dinosaurs came from. And that's just a wild speculative guess. Mm -hmm. um, and they did something to the environment, like we did with the ozone layer, 
fortunately, we've corrected that. And that hole that we'd created in the atmosphere is no longer there because we stopped using certain chemicals in our refrigeration mechanisms. Um, they did something to cause the water in the atmosphere to collapse onto the earth. Mm -hmm. And the story is, oh, God was angry with us mm -hmm. and sent a flood. Yeah. Drama. The idea and the myth and the power of the supernatural, yeah. It, it just makes so much more sense to say God telling Noah, build an ark, because this is what's going to happen, yeah. um, that he's not controlling. He's given us the freedom. We bring it about. He's going to save anybody that wants to be saved from the destruction that we're bringing onto the earth, mm -hmm. rather than the view God's going to destroy the earth, so I'm going to save people from my destruction. That seems um, incongruent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is it moral to create people and then destroy them if they don't do what you want them to do? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And even just uh, the thought that came to me, too, uh, Karen and I were talking and uh, her dad had read a book about uh, a number of different things and the flood story came up in that one. And even the idea that, you know, in the entire earth where there was everybody in this one area and there was only this one boat for all of these people. Um, and to think that, you know, potentially the population was bigger and and maybe there were more people but i think it even just illustrates also the idea of how we think the world revolves around us and that the story and is only about these certain people and this is the one neat sort of storytelling thing to be able to put this together in an arc um because you know even thinking about the fact that now we can you know reach uh people globally through telecommunication Whereas there, obviously, you know, information is not going to spread fast and far that in the same way. And it just sort of opened up my brain, whether that, you know, influences a story or not. But even just to picture this idea that we think that all the population of the earth could fit in this one neat story seems also... Um, yeah, anyways, it just challenged it for me a little bit. And so I was like, okay, like, let's bring the lens back out again. Yeah. So um, the, the flood story, as it's recorded, really questions the morality of God. You know, we've yes. told this story before. If you propose to the woman of your dreams and you say, marry me, you live happily ever afterwards, uh, don't marry me, and I'm afraid I have to blow your brains out. Yeah. That's an immoral proposal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no freedom in that. Yeah. Um, but this is the way that God is presented, in all sincerity and in the name of love. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Keep my commandments. I'll take you to heaven. Put you on a new earth. We live happily ever afterwards. If you don't do what I want you to do, I'm very sorry to tell you, you're going to be burned up. Yeah, the, the rationale for the flood is sometimes given that God um, 
in his mercy, he destroyed them to save, to prevent a greater um, destruction from happening later down the road. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't cut it for me. I, I don't buy that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's been the, the view that many have proposed is that, uh, that God is, it's an act of mercy on his part to do that. Well, yeah. And I think this is where parents get the idea of saying to a child, you know, I'm going to punish you now. And this is going to hurt me more than you. Uh, but I'm doing it because I love you. Mm-hmm. Well, as a child, my response, not verbal, because the punishment would be greater, was then <laughs> leave me out of it and punish yeah. yourself if you want to. Save, save yourself and me the pain. Just don't do it. Yeah. So here's, here's another uh, sort of similar incident. Um, First Chronicles 21, 14. Uh, the Lord sends a plague on Israel, and 70,000 people die as a result. Who sends the plague? The Lord. The Lord. Why does he send the plague according to the story? Because David numbered Israel. That means he took a census. He wanted to show what a powerful army he'd built up. Mm-hmm. It's an act of pride. Even his uh, army commander, Joab, uh, doesn't want him to do this. Mm-hmm. But apparently, according to this story, a plague comes on Israel because of what David did, and 70,000 people died. Now, those people had not done anything to deserve mm-hmm. the plague. It was King David. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I've got a problem with God's morality, that he, mm-hmm. he kills 70,000 people and doesn't kill the perpetrator. Right. Yeah. What to do with a story like this? Um, this is what I think happened. A plague struck Israel and uh, 70,000 people died, and they're wondering why this happened. And they find the cause in David, mm. numbering mm. Israel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, two probably very uh, independent events that happened. And we'll talk about this later, uh, is that correlation does not mean causation. Mm-hmm. So David numbers Israel. At the same time, there's a plague. And so these two are linked. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I hadn't thought of that before, but yeah, it, it, they're just it's it's like um, Hurricane Katrina and, mm-hmm. and all this devastation, and we're looking for some something to attribute its cause to, mm-hmm. and, and we come across whatever and say, oh, it's that, it's whatever, it's the the sinners in in uh, in the in the area or something. Yeah. Well, I, I want to press this a little bit closer home is that often when something goes wrong in our lives, we wonder what we did wrong Mm -hmm. to cause it. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's because of this kind of thinking. Now, of course, there's cause and effect. You know, if you you want to uh, uh, use heroin, you're not going to live to an old age. Mm -hmm. You're going to die young. 
Um, so I'm not talking about cause and effect like that, but uh, this idea that uh, the disciples brought up when Jesus saw the man blind from birth, they say to him, well, who sent this man or his parents? Because they, they don't see that uh, the devil can cause blindness in people. And so they're looking for some reason to explain this uh, problem that the man has. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to read a, a passage which shows you the culture, the cultural understanding of the people of uh, uh, in Moses' day. So, Sasha, will you read Deuteronomy 28, mm-hmm. at least 58 and 59? Mm-hmm. If you refuse to obey, obey all the words of instruction that are written in this book, and if you do not fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God, then the Lord will overwhelm you and your children with indescribable plagues. These plagues will be intense and without relief, making you miserable and unbearably sick. Well, you, you seem to be enjoying this. Can you read some more, please? <laughs> he will afflict you with all the diseases of Egypt that you feared so much, and you will have no relief. The Lord will inflict you with every sickness and plague there is, even those not mentioned in this book of instruction, until you are destroyed. Yeah. Wow. So- you know, if you read Deuteronomy 28 and you talk about COVID, unless you've met Jesus, you're going to make a correlation uh, that God is very unhappy with us and mm. he sent COVID. Yeah. Right. Right. You, you can't escape that conclusion after reading Deuteronomy 28. Yeah. So help us understand Deuteronomy 28. This, what you're saying is this is a description of the belief of that time. Yes. This yeah. is the cultural understanding. Yeah. That if plagues come on you, it's because of something you've done. And, uh, and that is easy to, for them to believe because they don't believe there's a devil. They don't believe there's a counter power that can bring about supernatural devastation. Yes. And so everything supernatural comes from God. Yes. Okay. And they also see God as uh, the source of good and evil. Right. They, they see that God has a dark side to him. Mm-hmm. Now, ever since Jesus came, uh, he took away that darkness. Well, he gave it another source, another name. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to labor this too much, but there's another story, Warren, if you'll read it in Numbers 25, verse 10 to 11. Just then one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent right before the eyes of Moses and all the people, as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. When Phinehas, son of Eliezer and grandson of Aaron, the priest saw this, he jumped up and left the assembly. He took a spear and rushed after the man into his tent. Phineas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and into the woman's stomach. So the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but not before 24,000 people had died. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eliezer, and grandson of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites by being as zealous among them as I was. So I stopped destroying all Israel as I had intended to do in my zealous anger. So again, you've got a plague here. Uh, 24,000 people die. They are associating with the Midianites. And the Midianites are introducing them to some interesting worship practices. The, this is correlated. This uh, guy, um, what's his name? Uh, I think his name is Cosby, um, who, who brings a Midianite woman into his tent in broad daylight uh, when Moses and Aaron are trying to get the people to reform and be revived. And so Phineas, he executes them both. And uh, God's very happy about that, and he stops the plague. Now, again, you can have a correlation here um, that's been seen as causation. Mm -hmm. So Amos 4 verse 10 um, has an interesting comment. He says, I, he's talking about his recording God in first person. I sent plagues on you like the plagues I sent on Egypt long ago. I killed your young men in war and led all your horses away. The stench of death filled the air, but still you would not return to me, says the Lord. So there's kind of a mixed message here. I send plagues and war to devastate you, but still you don't return to me. Why would I return to you if yeah. you sending plagues and war on me? Right. I'd be running in the other direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, Jeremiah predicts that Jerusalem uh, is going to be ruined. And this is how he writes it. Warren, if you can read Jeremiah 19, verse 8 to 9. I will reduce Jerusalem to ruins, making it a monument to their stupidity. All who pass by will be astonished and will gasp at the destruction they see there. I will see to it that your enemies lay siege to the city until all the food is gone. Then those trapped inside will eat their own sons and daughters and friends. They will be driven to utter despair. Yeah, so according to the story, the active agent here is God. Mm -hmm. He's going to reduce Jerusalem to ruins. So Jerusalem was ruined. The Babylonians besieged and then destroyed Jerusalem about 600 uh, years before Jesus. Uh, but it's so interesting that God claims he did this. Does this mean he inspired the Babylonians to destroy the city? And the actual yeah. consequences of cannibalism um, its horrible. Right. And God would have known that. And yet the narrative is written. Um, so that God gets the blame for destroying Jerusalem. Yeah. So again, it's correlation does not mean causation. Yeah. So now, Ian, Ian, can we go back to the Phineas story? Yes. I realize that's back a little bit. So are you just saying, are you suggesting that it was, again, they were searching for that this plague happened for whatever reason? And they're just searching for 
something to attribute it to and, and attribute the, the end of it to. Yes. In this case, they're looking for a reason why the plague stopped so suddenly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry, I took you back a couple of stories there. Yeah, no, no problem. You know, uh, we still have this debate going on, and uh, I just saw today uh, some statistics showing that uh, infection and uh, deaths amongst people from COVID, there's no correlation between them and vaccinations. So we have a problem right now with correlation and causation. Mm, mm. So, so it's, it's not something that we got rid of right. time ago. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So Ezekiel 14 uh, summarizes the four dreadful punishments of God. Uh, Sasha, if you can read Ezekiel 14, 21 to 23. Now, this is what the sovereign Lord says. How terrible it will be when all four of these dreadful punishments fall upon Jerusalem. War, famine, wild animals, and disease, destroying all her people and animals. Yet there will be survivors and they will come here to join you as exiles in Babylon. You will see with your own eyes how wicked they are. And then you will feel better about what I have done to Jerusalem. When you meet them and see their behavior, you will understand that these things are not being done to Israel without cause. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Okay, so God takes uh, responsibility for Notice his four dreadful punishments, war, famine, wild animals, and disease. So those are the four punishments uh, stipulated in um, Leviticus 26, where the blessings and the curses are listed. Mm -hmm. So these four punishments are for disobedience, war, famine, wild animals, and disease. Interestingly enough, in the New Testament, War, famine, and disease uh, remain. And instead of wild animals, you have demons. Hmm. So you need to unpack that. Mm -hmm. Like, because, um, so again, this is their view. When these bad things happen, these are things that God does. They're being punished. Yeah. When, when famines happen just because there isn't enough rain. And war yes. happens because people are greedy and want to take over another area. Yes. Okay. So, so if an Old Testament prophet was writing about current events, he would say that the Ukrainians rebelled against the Lord. Yeah. And so the Lord sent invaders to punish them. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So Putin is working it as a servant of the Lord. Yes. Mercy. How twisted mm -hmm. does that get? But yet it becomes so confusing, I think, because if we see the Bible as being, uh, you know, basically inspired by God, when, when this text in uh, 23 says, you know, when you see the people and their behavior, then you'll know that these things are not being done 
to Israel without cause. And it, it, it just makes it so challenging if, if the camera lens doesn't get pulled back um, because it, it seems very clear here that there's behavior that is not in line with what God is wanting. And so he is trying to modify behavior by putting bad things on the people to make them go, oh, whoa, we're doing wrong and we need to turn back to the, to the Lord. Well, and it becomes a very powerful way for the church to control people. Yes. Because yes. if you can create that much fear around natural disasters. Right. What? <laughs> you, can, you can get people to be very uh, complicit and willing to pay their tithes and turn in their yes. offerings and all those things that the church benefits from. Right. Good I'm, point. You know, it sounds cynical, but I think that's what was happening. Yeah. Just something interesting is that the four horsemen of the uh, seals described in Revelation chapter six, the four horsemen correspond to these four punishments. Yeah, that is, that's an interesting correlation. We need to wrap this up. But I just remind you that there were 10 plagues on Egypt and there's seven last plagues on the earth. These plagues are blamed on, on God, and uh, I don't think it's fair. And we don't have time to discuss the causation here. Uh, I want to touch on Genesis 15, verse 16. Um, Warren, if you'll read that, please. Amorite's cup of iniquity is not yet full. Yes. Uh, Abraham is told that uh, he can't displace the Amorites because their cup of iniquity is not yet full. The implication being, when the cup is full, genocide is okay. Yeah. Wow, yeah. You know, in our day and age, there are men and women who say that women who get raped is probably because she asked for it. Right. You know about that kind of thinking. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I, I can't believe that that is still valid in the day and age in which we live, but it is. That right. people so, would hold that belief. Yes. Yeah. So this, this matter of uh, correlation and causation is very important. Yeah, especially, yeah, in that, in that modern day reframe that you just did there, um, that is, yeah, very, very stark. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, just to sort of summarize this, the Old Testament prophets did not separate prediction and causation. When God predicted the flood, they assumed God caused the flood. Mm -hmm. When God predicted the fall of Jerusalem, the Israelites believed God destroyed Jerusalem as a punishment. Mm -hmm when it was the Babylonians and then the Romans who destroyed the city. When God predicted that the result of choosing sin would be death, it was assumed that God would kill sinners. And we've talked about this before. There are many passages in the Old Testament which identify God as somebody who kills people. And we have to wait until Jesus comes uh, to find out that God is actually moral. 
Yes. And that he does not execute people who don't do as he says. Yeah, that that is so huge. Uh, yeah. To to because it it just it brings such a corrective view to the whole Old Testament that is essential to have, or you have a God that is immoral. There's no other way to describe it. Yeah. So the prophets also did not separate correlation and causation. When an evil spirit possesses King Saul, his servants conclude that it must be from God because God had anointed Saul to be king of Israel. So God must be in control of Saul's life. Right. Mm. So that if he has an evil spirit, it must be from God. We've referred to it briefly. Jesus addresses the issue of causation before he heals the man blind from birth. Sasha, if you can read John 9, verse 1 to 3. As Jesus was walking along, he saw my, a man who, was, who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? I just want to stop there. Mm-hmm. See, these guys are into causation. Yes. Why is this man born blind? And right. their idea is that somebody has sinned. And so this is punishment for that sin. Either his parents sinned or he sinned. No doubt he sinned in the womb. He, he was thinking bad thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> or he was kicking his mother too violently. Or, All right. I mean, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how far-fetched can that get? Well, you, but you can see it's right here in the text. Yeah. 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 And so then, it goes on. Yeah, go ahead. We, we, we can be accused of speculating in the Old Testament about this problem of uh, causation prediction or right. correlation but here you have a, a case study mm-hmm. that illustrates what we've been talking about yeah right so read verse three please sasha it was not because of his sins or his parents sins jesus answered this happened so the power of god could be seen in him okay uh, I'm going to come back to Jesus' answer because it's problematic. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Jesus corrects the disciples' idea in the next chapter on the causation of the man's blindness. In John 10, verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to ski, steal, kill, and destroy. I have come to give you life, abundant life. Mm-hmm. So he's addressing the causation of this man's blindness. Right. Hmm. It was the thief who stole away his sight. Yeah, yeah, that's good. The, the Jesus replied, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Sounds like uh, God caused him to be born blind. So a few decades later, Jesus can come walking along, notice he's blind and do a miracle and bring glory to God and joy to all the people involved. Right. This has never sat well with me. Good. Well, yeah, because and, and even today, like bad things will happen to people and they'll they'll think, well, 
God must be going to be able to use this to make something good come out of it later. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same idea. And, right. And God can do bring good out of bad, but God does not cause the bad so he can bring the good out of it. Yeah. Right. Key difference. Yeah. But yeah. that's what it says. It says this happens so God, so the power of God could be seen in him. You need to explain that. So. Yeah. Okay. So. I'll get to it in a minute. But okay. two translations out of 63 get it right. <laughs> it's not a very high percentage. Mm, no, no. Okay, so the, the contemporary English version. Uh, Warren, if you can read that, please. No, it wasn't, Jesus answered. But because of his blindness, you will see God work a miracle for him. Okay, so that doesn't put the blame on God for the blind. And Sasha, if you can read the message Bible, Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. Oh, yeah. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Hmm. So okay. Eugene Peterson um, comes through pretty well on that. Yeah, he understands the the there's no correlation and causation happening here yes so now to look at the text the greek word translated so in verse three is hina now hina can also be translated as and and it's up to the translators as to which english word to use if and is used it puts god in the correct light in this case, the translation would be, this happened, and the power of God will be seen in him. The, and the power of God will be seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not so that the power of God will be seen. Wow, that is profound. Yeah. Wow. Just And, and it's no, I mean, it's just dependent upon the, the bias or the view of the translator. Yeah. Yep. That's why the Italians say all translators are traitors. <laughs> yeah. So in the Old Testament, justice is administered according to lex talionis, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is limited retributive justice. The punishment must fit the crime. Now, this system is better than anarchy, where passion decides the retribution. But Jesus is teaching a completely different justice system. Do not resist an evil person, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 39. This is not commonly practiced even among Christians. This injunction describes the restorative justice of God. It is the description of heaven's morality. And I believe this is one reason why this battle between good and evil has taken so long to end, is that Jesus came and brought the morality of God to our attention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God is not an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but he does not resist evil people. He seeks rather to win them to the side, the moral side mm -hmm. of right. kindness and compassion. Right. 
Wow. It, you know, it almost makes you, the thought that goes through my mind is God um, is so patient that we could very well destruct our planet. And, and he ends up coming to rescue us from ourselves um, at the end of time. Yeah. It's very probable. Yeah. So I, I'm going to write four words at the beginning of my Bible at the Old Testament. Prediction and causation and yeah. correlation. Or, sorry. Yeah. Prediction and causation and correlation and causation. Yeah. Yeah. So that the, the whole book has to be understood under that framework. Yeah. Yes. And you can't do that without Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. and that's, that's the helpful thing. Cause it's not just that, Oh, I don't like that picture of God. So I'm going to rewrite the old Testament. Jesus right. gave us the foundation to, to be able to make that uh, assertion. Exactly. The key is there. Yeah. 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 But you know, the verse 11 in John 10, uh, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you abundant life. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I give my life for the sheep. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. His whole life was about saving the sheep, yeah. not, not to, to destroy them. Right. Wow. Uh, this is awesome, Ian. Thank you so much, because it's so helpful to have something kind of a bite size to, to, to just propose to people and say, what do you, what's your picture of God? Does God do these kinds of things and, and help them to begin to reconsider their long held traditional views of these old Testament stories? Yeah. God is not the God of Lex Talionis. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Mm-hmm. He's the God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. Yeah. Amen. Very well let's, articulated. Let's pray together. Dear God, we are in your presence. We covet your morality for ourselves. Mm -hmm. We want to love the people we come in contact with especially those people who annoy us. <laughs> We're so pathetic in our love. We're so happy that our future depends on your love for us and not our love for you. You're wonderful. We worship you. You are completely out of our box. Mm-hmm. Mm Thank you for revealing yourself to us. We could never have discovered or imagined you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're too wonderful for that. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. You will find the PDF document that we're following today on our website, rediscoveringgod.ca, 
where the recordings, the PDFs, the podcasts are all listed there. You can share that website with your friends and they can follow along. We'd also really love to invite you to the Monday night Zoom discussion where we all gather in fellowship with each other, all us listeners of the podcast, where we can come with our questions, comments, thoughts, um, resources. It's a wonderful time of encouragement where um, we get to affirm each other and encourage each other. Um, so that's a Monday nights at 7.30 Mountain Time. You can just type in 403-506-9201. And we'd love to have you there. for joining us today on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. To enable you to share this with your friends, we've developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review, follow along, or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com. If you have questions or just would like to share with us, we would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much.